Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today I want to share some salvation stories, some, some pictures of salvation that hopefully will, will make uh, the gospel come alive for you. And the first one I just want to share is the gospel in the genealogy of Christ. You know, as soon as man fell under the power of sin in the Garden of Eden and Satan then became, as it were, man's uh, master, God announced the coming of the God-man Messiah, the seed of the woman. And this man would defeat the devil and save man from sin and restore man to his righteousness and his blessing with God. And this is the original prophecy called the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15. And God is talking to Satan and he's saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed... And that, that's really all unbelievers and demons. And enmity between your seed and her seed, the seed of the woman. And this is the first prophecy of the Messiah, that, who would be born of a virgin. And he, the seed of the woman, Christ, shall bruise your head. He'll crush the devil under his feet. He'll destroy his authority over mankind. And it says, and you will bruise his heel. Uh, so, as it were, as he crushes the serpent's head, the serpent bites the heel, and Christ, in his death, received the poison of the serpent, received our sin into himself, and he even suffered death as a result. But through his death and resurrection, he defeated the power of the enemy for us. Praise God. And so this predicted the Messiah's victory over Satan and sin, uh, even though in doing that he would suffer unto death. And then, since then, man began to look for this Messiah, and God, bit by bit, revealed more and more about him, including his family line of descent. And so that is tracked through the Bible. And it's very interesting, if you look at the names in this messianic line from Adam to Noah, the patriarchs, we can see that God was preaching the gospel through them. One Chronicles, one gives their names, Adam, then Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Those are the first ten. And let's look at the meaning of their names. First of all, Adam means man. Second, Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Mahalel means blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death will bring, and Lamech means the despairing, and Noah means rest or, or comfort. So putting it all together, we can read God's coded message to us, which is the gospel about the coming Messiah. And all these names, when you read them in order, says, Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. Praise God. That's the gospel message, a telegram from God. Praise God. I now want to share with you a powerful story called My Son, and it's a true story set in the 1920s. John Griffith was a young man, newly married, full of optimism, had a beautiful baby. Then in 1929, there was the stock market crash. The economy shattered. His dreams devastated. He uh, had to move east to the Mississippi River 
And there he found a job tending one of the great railroad, railroad bridges that crossed this massive river. And day after day he'd sit in the control room and, and direct the great gears of this immense bridge over the river, which he would open and close, you see. He would look out and see the ships and the barges going under his, his bridge. And then uh, after he let the ships go through, he would lower the massive structure um, to let the trains cross. And then in 1937, a new hope was born in him because his son was now eight and he was looking forward for his son to join him at work and they would have a great time together in, in friendship. And the first day of this new life brought great hope. And they set off together to the bridge and the son was impressed as he saw his dad control this huge bridge and, uh, you know, this stupendous structure. And, and it was noon. And he had just lifted up the bridge for some ships to pass. And then, with his son in hand, they, they headed off to lunch. They went down to the observation deck and just watched the ships go by. And he would tell stories about these ships and where they were coming from and where they were going. And then suddenly he was brought back to reality by the, the, the shrieking whistle of a distant train. And he He'd lost track of time and he saw that this train was on time and the bridge was still raised and the Memphis Express was just minutes away. And so not wanting to alarm his son, he, he calmly told him to stay put and he quickly ran up to the control house, checking that the river was clear of ships. And then he looked to make sure nothing was, was below. And as he looked down, horror of horrors he found that his beloved son had actually tried to follow his father up to the control room, but had fallen off the catwalk and fell into the gears that moved this gigantic bridge. And now he was wedged between the teeth of the two main cogs in the gearbox. He was still conscious, he was bleeding, but uh, he suddenly realized with a horrifying thought that if he was to lower the bridge, he would kill his son, the apple of his eye, crushing him to death. He desperately tried to think of a solution. He thought, well, maybe I can quickly rush down, get on a rope, grab my son, rush back, and then pull the control lever just in time for the ongoing train. But he immediately realized that was impossible. There wasn't enough time. What should he do? And he considered here's this train coming with 400 passengers rushing closer towards the bridge. And if he did nothing, if he just tried to save his son, all those passengers would die. But this is his only son, his pride and joy. He'd just imagine his, the face of his mother uh, at his death. But if he saved him, he'd be letting many others die. And he realized there was only one thing he could do. And so couldn't really look. He plunged the lever down and his son's cries were quickly drowned out by the sound of the bridge as it ground relentlessly into position. And only seconds to spare, the express train roared out of the trees and across the mighty bridge. And John lifted his tear-stained face and he looked into the windows of the passing train and he saw businessmen reading the newspaper at the conductor, looking at his watch, the lady sipping their afternoon tea, others playing cards, a small boy eating ice cream, Passengers indulged in, you know, idle conversation, having a laugh. No one looked his way. No one realized 
the great sacrifice he had made. No one saw that the, the blood-stained gearbox where his son had died so that they could be saved. And in anguish, he cried out uh, at their indifference. What's wrong with you people? Don't you care? Don't you know that I sacrificed my son for you? What's wrong with you? And of course, no one answered. No one heard. No one seemed to care. Soon the train was over the bridge and off into the distance. And, you know, this is just a faint illustration of what God the Father did in sacrificing his own son Jesus for us so that we would not die and go to hell, but we would have eternal life and, and forgiveness. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. One prophecy of Jesus says in Lamentations chapter 1, which reminds me of this story, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. God's Son uh, suffered for us and took the judgment of God for us so that we could live and be free. John Griffin was caught by surprise, but God in his great love and sovereign purpose, he determined to sacrifice his son from the foundation of the world so that we might live. And that proves God's amazing love for us, that he would be willing to sacrifice his son for people who don't deserve it, who often ignore him, and they just rush on, as we sometimes do in our busyness and our pleasures, and we don't, we don't spare a thought, as it were. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And also, the love of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is shown in that he was not like the boy in this story who got caught in an accident, but he willingly gave up his life for the sins of mankind. Jesus said, my Father loves me because I lay down my life. He, he laid his own life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus voluntarily laid his life down. He says, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again in the resurrection. This command I received from my Father. So he voluntarily obeyed his Father. I want to tell you another story now called The Peace Child, which is another wonderful picture of the Gospel. Again, it's a true story about uh, the Sawi people, one of uh, 400 tribes in the western half of New Guinea, known as Irim Jaira or Papua, and um, they had been totally isolated from the whole world in, in the dense jungles uh, there, and uh, cut off from civilization. And in 1962, two uh, missionaries, Don and Carol Richardson, went there to live among them. And they were actually headhunters and cannibals. And uh, they were welcomed, actually, by the Sawi, who were fascinated by these two strange people, um, and they, who were also a source of very useful things, like axes and knives, razor blades, machetes, mirrors, fish hooks, fish lines, stuff like that. Contact with these newcomers uh, added to their prestige. And so they were welcomed. Uh, and Don, first of all, had to learn the language, and he soon became very proficient in that, even though it was a complex one. And he studied their language, their customs, 
their, their legends and they realize there's going to be massive difficulties reaching them for Christ because the, the, the gulf between the biblical faith and their, their Sowie world was, was massive. They believed in a supernatural world and inter, the interaction with the supernatural, but it was like a hierarchy of, of demons and departed ancestral spirits and not the creator God. And, and misfortunes were, were not by accident, they were caused by demons and they were restrained or controlled or activated by witchcraft. And, and God, Don coined a word for God which is the greatest spirit and he described him, his love, his faithfulness, his justice, his power. He told of creation, he told of man's fall, he told of God's promise of a deliverer and how then this deliverer, Jesus, came to the Jewish people. But they, they found it hard to identify with this far-off culture, so different from their own, and, and so their interest dimmed. And there was only one time that he really got their interest, and they got a resounding response from them. And that's when he was they were describing Judas's betrayal of Jesus. And they were cheering with admiration. They couldn't imagine how such an impressive figure like Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own. But then a chill went down Don's spine as he realized that they were actually cheering Judas as the hero. Because actually, they, they honored treachery as one of their highest ideals. See, the heroes in their culture were those who formed friendships, say, with somebody in another tribe. But this friendship was for the purpose of later betraying them. And then they would kill them and eat them. And, and they would call this to fatten with friendship for the slaughter. And so just imagine trying to tell the gospel story as everyone cheers Judas as the hero for betraying the sucker Jesus, who, uh, you know, who was just a fought to be laughed at. And this seemed hopeless. And so he prayed more and more for a breakthrough. What made things worse was that they had a warlike nature. They, they brought their children up, you know, to honor treachery, to be rebend, to be vengeful. Uh, and every time you're hurt or somebody does something or insults you, you take revenge against them. So they, they had this violent example from their parents who were cannibals. And, and so there was a spiral of violence between the different tribes. So the tribes had to keep their distance from each other. Um, and, but Don's arrival had actually caused three of the tribes, because they all wanted to be close to him, to, to live as one village, which was a very rare thing. Uh, but he couldn't stop them shedding each other's blood. It seemed impossible to stop it, because um, they were living so close. And so these three villages were causing so much strife between them that he decided he had to leave them and separate from them, so that they, some peace could be re-established. Um, because he realized that peace requires trust. It requires assurance of goodwill on both sides. But with their idealization of treachery, this is impossible, that you can't just trust the other person in their culture. And so when he talked about peace, they, they said, you, you just don't understand. And, th and so the Sawi were so upset when he planned to leave that t the two fighting villages decided they were going to make peace. And here, something was revealed in their culture that Don didn't realize. 
And um, there was a very deep ritual that took place at dawn. And two children from each tribe were to be exchanged. And what John later found out is that and they called it the peace child. As long as the peace child lived, the peace between the two tribes would hold. Um, but it was tough to choose who, who would give up their tribe, their child. And um, one man tried to bring his child, but his wife stopped him. Um, but finally, a young man called Cayo grabbed his only child, a newborn baby, and rushed towards the enemy camp and gave his son to one of his enemies. And he received a child in return. And each man cried out to his village, those who accept this child as a basis for peace, come and lay hands on him. And so the 300 people all laid their hands on this peace child. And through that, they came into a binding covenant and they came into unity. And the atmosphere of war was replaced by happy shouts and dancing. They laid their hands on the peace child. And there was an exchange of gifts and names. And, and, and then they did a dance, which they called a you and me and I and you dance, <laughs> which symbolized their, their embrace of peace. And, and Don was perplexed by this, this thing. Why is this necessary? He was told, you know, it's impossible to make peace without a peace child. There was so much distrust. But somehow this peace trial was such a deep thing for them that you could have peace. There was, after all, there was a way that peace could be made. They found a way to establish trust and sincerity and establish peace. Because if you think about it, that, that every demonstration of friendship was suspect except one. If a man would actually give his own son to his enemies then that man could be trusted. And everyone who laid his hand upon and identified with the peace child immediately was at peace with the one who had given his son. So all past sins were forgiven. And he was bound not to work violence against him. And Don immediately realized that the peace child was the key he'd been waiting for to communicate the gospel. And he started preaching. He says, um, you know, I was saying to you, you know, can, is there no other way to make peace without a, a peaceful giving of this peace child? But you said that there is no other way, and you were right. And my God has said the same thing, because God, the Great Spirit, is, uh, there's, a, there's an enmity between God and man because of man's sin. But God wants men to find peace with him and each other. And so what God did, he would preach, is that God chose a once and for all peace child who was good enough and strong enough to establish peace forever. And he gave his own son. God gave his own son. Just like Cao, he gave his only begotten son. You know, Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Peace Child of God. God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so he's saying, you know, they said to him, is Jesus the peace child that you're telling us about? He said, yes. 
And then they said, well, then what Judas did is the worst possible thing you could ever do because despising the peace child of God, of God that's the worst thing you could, you could do. That was the worst sin in their culture. And suddenly now they understood the gospel. It was the deepest thing in their culture. And it was such a deep sacrifice to give your son to your enemies that it changed their whole life. And that principle then changed them. And most of the Sawi then, I think two-thirds of the Sawi, accepted Christ. You see, he, Don would say, you receive the peace child into your homes physically, but you receive God's peace child by welcoming his spirit into your hearts. And he will protect you and, from judgment and he will bring you into peace. And, and through laying your hands on the peace child, you are made one with the God of heaven and earth. He will be in you and you will be in him as in the peace dance. And he's not just the peace, peace child for the village, he's the peace child for the whole earth. Wow. And with the peace child, that covenant would only be in force as long as the peace child lived. But he says God's peace child is greater because he is risen from the dead and he lives forever and ever. And therefore the covenant that you have with God is forever. And so he says, lay your hands on Jesus. Receive Jesus by faith and God, you will have peace with God. What a wonderful picture. Have you received God's peace child? Have you put your trust in him? Because God gave his own son for you to die. I want to just tell you one more story called the, from the bridge over the River Kwai. It happened in the, in the war, in, in the World War II, when the Japanese invaded Burma. They took many thousands prisoners. These Japanese guards were cruel and inhuman to the prisoners. And after they were on starvation rations, all the prisoners were lined up after a grueling day's work. The command, the commandant um, of the camp was angry. He exploded because a shovel was missing. And he assumed one of the prisoners stole it. And he shouted that the thief must step forward and be shot immediately. If he doesn't, everyone's rations will be cut in half. And that would actually mean that they would die because they were on the edge anyway. They were being worked to death and that would mean many people would die. And when he finished his tirade, one man stepped forward and he was immediately shot. And then later they recounted the shovels and there wasn't any shovel missing after all. So the man who stepped forward was clearly innocent of the charge, but he willingly took the punishment and paid the penalty for a crime he did not commit so that he could save all the other men from being killed. He died so that they could live. And this is a wonderful example of one man who's totally innocent, died for the sake of others so that they could live. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He was totally innocent, but he died for us. He took the penalty that we deserved when he died on the cross. God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, you know, the Bible talks about, let me just share what Jesus did. Let this hand represent me. God loves me, but there's a problem. There is, this book is a record of my whole life. All the things I've done, all the things I should have done that I haven't done, and this sets, separates me from God. 
And so God loves me and he wants me to go to heaven. But on the other hand, God is just and he must punish my sin. But God solved this problem in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. But he came from heaven to earth and he became a man. And he lived a perfect life and he did miracles. He did the greatest teachings ever. He lived a sinless life. But the most important thing he did is when he died for us on the cross. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. On the cross... Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and he purchased a place in heaven for us. And the Bible says that he died and then he was buried and then our sins were buried with him. But on the third day, he rose from the dead and he's alive forevermore and he now offers you his free gift of eternal life. Praise God. And how do you receive that gift? You receive that gift by faith. And the Bible says that we just have to receive Jesus. He says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door of his heart, Jesus says, I will come into him and I will sup with him. I'll fellowship with him forever. And we just have to receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. When we receive him, he comes in as our saviour, he forgives all our sins. He gives us a brand new start. He makes us his children. But when he comes in, he also comes in as our Lord and our God. And you know, he, we, we have to submit and give our heart to him and surrender to him as Lord. And then he says... I will come in and I will save you. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I just want to pray this prayer. And if that's you, you've never done this before, pray this with me right now. Dear God in heaven, I come to you. I believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. Right now, Jesus, I believe you're alive. And I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. Please come into my heart and cleanse my heart and forgive all my sins. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. And I receive your free gift of eternal life. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me because I have called on you to save me and you have saved me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I belong to you now and I will love you and I will give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products, where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk. 
or by calling 01865 515 086.